This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost, October 31st, 2021, offered at the Episcopal Church of the Messiah in Heflin, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon is Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, when the scribe asked Jesus, which of the commandments is first of all? May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, for many of y'all that have heard me preach over the past several months, this next sentence will probably not be a surprise. Um, I have always had a particular nerdy streak about me. I like to know where things come from, how they work, why we do things the way we do them. And so, of course, with Halloween falling on a Sunday this year, I sort of turned on my nerdy brain and went on a search to see a little bit more about what Halloween is about. Now, I basically understood, right, Halloween has some ancient roots going back to the Celts in Ireland and England. They observed a festival called Samhain at the beginning of their winter, so the end of October and beginning of November, when sort of the fall harvest was ending and they were shifting into a, a time of living off of what they had stored up. Before it got really cold, they would light bonfires and they would wear costumes to scare away any evil spirits that might be about. They saw this change in season, this change from light to dark, from warm to cold, as being a time when whatever it is that separates this world from the next was a little bit thinner. So that's been going on, or was going on thousands of years ago, that around this time of year there would be these festivals. And so in the 600s, when Pope Gregory III designated November 1st to celebrate all the saints of God, it aligned with celebrations that were already going on. And so by the time Christianity returns to England and Ireland, bringing with it the newly created All Saints Day, they took together the the festival practices of the end of fall into winter and had it be a day of preparation for the Feast of All Hallows, or All Saints, that would be on November 1. They blended together sort of the Celtic traditions with the Christian traditions. So the practices of bonfires and feasts and costumes made their way into Christian traditions. Nowadays, I think the number one thing that we probably think about when we think about Halloween is we get to wear costumes and we get to go trick-or-treating. Now, what I was surprised to learn is that trick-or-treating is a relatively new invention. There had been some times throughout history where All Hallows' Eve would have been, like you would have exchanged some food or tokens or there would have been a feast. But this idea that you just got to travel around and knock on doors and ask for stuff didn't arrive in America, at least, until the 1920s. Now, there have been several ways to explain this. Some folks say that grown-ups came up with it. 
because the kids were causing too much mischief on All Hallows' Eve. But when we look at sort of the news reportings about it, most grown-ups seem to be very confused of why children are suddenly showing up on their, at their doorstep in costumes asking for candy. It seems to have been something that the kids came up with themselves. They would put on costumes, go knock, ask for treats, and if they were denied treats in the 1920s, there might be some mischief. I would have hated to have been a grown-up then, because how bizarre is it for a child to show up in your doorstep dressed as some goblin or ghoul wanting and expecting candy, and then when you didn't give it to them, they sort of, you know, kicked over your flower pot. I mean, this would have been a terribly confusing time to be a grown-up. Um, in spite of the confusion, the practice gained popularity. It slowed slightly, as you might imagine, during World War II when there was sugar rationing. But by the 1940s, trick-or-treating was appearing in children's stories. By the 1950s, it was featured in a Peanuts comic strip. And it finally hit the main stage when it was featured as a Walt Disney cartoon and was a major plot line on an episode of Ozzie and Harriet. So by the mid-20th century, Halloween in this country was now defined by trick-or-treating. I love Halloween. Not so much the costumes. I like to wear costumes that really are me getting to wear just one silly item that counts as a costume. Um, and the rest of it is my normal clothes because I like to be comfortable. I'm not a big fan of the mischief. But what I do love about Halloween is that it is still a liminal time and space, right? It's somewhere between the time change, somewhere between when it's going to be hot and rainy in Alabama and when it's going to be sort of cold and rainy in Alabama. But it's also a thin space in our communities. Because for one night in the year, we leave our houses and go out and walk the streets and talk to our neighbors. Or we gather for Halloween festivals or trunk or treats or whatever it is. It is a day that is about removing the barriers that keep us isolated from each other that seem so much to kind of mark this age of computers and the internet. And those get torn down because we put on silly clothes and we walk around and walk up to neighbors that we know or don't know and ask them for candy and they amazingly give us candy and we laugh and we eat too much of it and we stay up too late. It really is a day that's a less about the spooky stuff that a lot of folks may like for me and is more about a day to celebrate my neighbors and being part of a community. And so you might have been wondering from the get-go of this how trick-or-treating was going to make it to the gospel. And if you were paying attention, you should have picked up on the words neighbor in sort of the observance of Halloween. Jesus tells us that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. That this is the second greatest commandment. Hey, you. You can stay up here if you want. Embarrassment has hit in. Um, the second greatest commandment is that we have to love our neighbors. Our reading from the Gospel of Mark this morning has a scribe coming to Jesus to ask the question, which is the, the first commandment? 
There are similar scenes in both Matthew and Luke. But in Matthew and Luke, the lawyer or the scribe that comes to Jesus isn't there just to ask an honest question. They're there to test or trick Jesus into giving their wrong answer. But here in Mark, the scribe has watched Jesus best these other folks that have come to trick him and ask them these questions. He's impressed by how Jesus has met the challenge. And so he asks this question in genuine sort of interest and curiosity. The scribes throughout Mark have been part of those challenging Jesus. And so this particular scribe is breaking away from the group and how he approaches Jesus. Jesus' answer is one that we are very familiar with. It's one that any devout observer of the Torah would have given, which is the first commandment is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's not new that Jesus puts these passages, two passages together. They were often taught that way, pulling the Shema from Deuteronomy and this this command to love your neighbor from Leviticus. But if it's not new that Jesus is teaching or using this phrase, then what's going on? Why does Mark give us this scene in the gospel? I think it's important to figure out where we are in the bigger story in the gospel of Mark. Moments or chapters before this, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem in triumph. It was Palm Sunday. He's gone to the temple and turned over tables at the money changers. He has been challenged by Sadducees and Pharisees and temple authorities. He's taught some really scandalous things about what the kingdom of God was going to be. And the tension between Jesus and the, and the authorities is rising and it is getting very, very dangerous. And so it's in the midst of this tension that the scribe comes to Jesus and asks this question. And in that moment, they agree. They agree on what the first and the second commandment are. And then the scribe adds this curious addition to the commandments that, yes, you've got to love God with everything you've got. And you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. And that these together are more important than all of the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices happening at the temple. It's this addition that the scribe gives that makes Jesus say, you are not far from the kingdom of God. In this short conversation, the scribe who begins the conversation as a likely opponent of Jesus leaves the conversation now as a potential disciple because he sees that that the love of God and the love of neighbor as yourself is the key to understanding what faith is. It's not that we should do away with the rituals. It's not that we shouldn't come to church on Sunday and have Eucharist and say prayers. We need to do that, but these rituals should be understood in light of these two commandments and should point us to living more fully into the love of God and the love of neighbor. For Mark, this is almost literally Jesus' mic drop moment. After this, right, the gospel tells us no one dared to ask him any more questions. He is going to continue to teach the disciples, but no longer will the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes come to try to test and challenge him because he has carried the day. He has the authoritative answer on what it means to have the relationship with God, to love God with everything you have, and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so the rest of Mark's gospel, what happens, the sort of scary apocalyptic teachings that Jesus is going to offer as he's walking out of the courts of the temple, what happens with Jesus on, with his disciples and as he moves closer to the cross, need to be understood through these two commandments that Jesus says. Because in Mark's gospel, what we need to understand is what it means to love our neighbors. And Jesus, for Mark, is the ultimate example of what it means to love. Jesus' love and obedience to God is complete. Jesus' love of his disciples and friends, his love for those that oppose him and challenge him, his love for those that betray him and kill him is complete. That self-giving, self-sacrificing love is the love that Jesus calls us to, and it is the love that shapes our reading of Scripture, that should guide our worship, And it's a love that we are only able to offer because God gave it to us first. So on this Sunday, which also happens to be Halloween or All Hallows' Eve, let's make it about love. Let's enjoy the fact that for thousands of years, this day has been considered a thin place. Whether it's a thin place between this world or the next, or a thin place that removes the barriers of of isolation that keep us from knowing our neighbors, today is a day that we can go out and knock on doors and ask for candy or pass it out or wear silly hats and clothes that sort of break down barriers and make it much easier to talk to folks, to eat too much sugar, to have treats, to talk to a neighbor that maybe you've never met or one you haven't seen in a long time, to pick up the phone and call somebody that you've been mad at. Today is a day to share the love that Jesus calls us to so that we can all love God more completely. Amen.